Our lives are full of choices, aren't they? Do I wear khakis or do I wear jeans? Do I get up and make eggs for breakfast or are we all eating cereal again? Uh, do I hit that snooze button and uh, once, twice, three times a snoozer? Um, or do I get up early and have a conversation with my spouse or have devotions or pray or exercise or whatever it is that often takes second place to that snooze button? A million little choices. Um, I think of 525,600 minutes. You guys know it? How do you measure? Measure a day, a year. <laughs> wow, that'd be a really long day. <laughs> and you only have to work eight of them. Uh, a year, yeah. Uh, rent. Uh, poses that question. Uh, Chris Allen, if you're more into the KSBJ, says, we only have 84, 600 seconds in a day to turn it all around or throw it all away. Gotta live like we're dying. Okay, it, it alarms me that you know the rent one and you don't know the, the Chris Allen one, but that's for a different sermon, I guess. Uh, we have so many choices before us, don't we? Um, they say that we are hit with a thousand different advertisements every day. Whether it's on our shirt or on our car or in the billboard or what we're hearing on the radio or seeing on TV or picking up and reading, thousand different things. And they're all saying the same thing. Give me your attention. I'm worth your while. I, I matter. If you spend a little bit of money on me, you'll be really happy. And the question that is posed today is, are we going to choose to live life intentionally? We're in week three of the series called Our Credo, living out what we say we believe. And this week we're talking about living life intentionally, not just letting the moments slip by. So our passage today is going to be in Deuteronomy 6. And just a little bit of background, um, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers set it up. And those first four books of the Bible basically have three overarching themes. The first one is that God has promised his people a land. We see it all the way back with Abraham. I will give you something. I, will, I promise this to you. And the over, overlying theme is God will keep his promise. Another one is deliverance from uh, slavery and bondage. We remember Egypt. We remember when we were slaves and how God brought us out. We were rescued from slavery. And the third theme uh, is the giving of the law. Moses was... Uh, quite the lawgiver. Actually, God gave the law. Moses just communicated it. But um, in the first four books of the Bible, we see this is how God wants us to live. This is how life is lived best for Yahweh, for God. And Deuteronomy then comes along, and Deuteronomy is basically a book on religious education. 
it is, okay, so we know these themes of God. Now, how do we learn them and teach the next generation? And so we come to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, powerful passage, and with your permission, um, I'm going to read it. So hear the word of the Lord. These are the commands, the laws, and the regulations that the Lord your God told me to teach you so that you may obey them in the land that you are going to enter and occupy, and so that your children and your grandchildren might fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his laws and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, to everything I say. Be careful to obey then all will go well with you. And you'll have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind, I'm sorry, with all your soul and with all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're away on a journey and when you're lying down and when you're getting up again. Tie them to your hands as a reminder. Wear them on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give your ancestor, your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a land with large, prosperous cities that you didn't build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods that you didn't produce. You'll draw water from cisterns that you didn't even dig. You'll eat from vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you've eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and serve him. When you take an oath, you must only use his name. You must not worship any of the gods of the neighboring nations, for the Lord your God who lives among you is a jealous God. He'll ang his anger will flare up against you and wipe you from the face of the earth. Do not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massah. You must diligently obey the commands of the Lord your God, all the stipulations and laws he's given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so all will go well with you. Then you'll enter and occupy the good land that the Lord solemnly promised to give your ancestors. He'll drive out all the enemies living in the land just as the Lord said you would. In the future, when your children ask you, what's the meaning of these stipulations, laws, and regulations that the Lord our God has given us? Then you must tell them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with amazing power. Before our eyes, the Lord did miraculous signs and wonders, dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so he could give us this land he had solemnly promised to our ancestors. And the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these laws and to fear him for our own prosperity and well-being, as is now the case. 
For we're righteous when we obey all the commands the Lord our God has given. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So here we have, let me, let me set up the situation. Here's what's going on. The people of Israel, millions of them, the Hebrew nation is right at the cusp of the promised land. They're standing at the Jordan River. They can see it. It's right there. God has promised it to them. Moses, however, is not going to be making that trip with them. His time is coming to an end. And so he wants to give them these final words. He wants to recap everything that is so important that God has told him to tell the people. It's like he says, you remember that God said we can't see his face or we'll die? Well, that may be true, but we can listen and hear his voice and obey him out of love. And so, guys, that's what you need to do. Listen to the words I'm telling you. Listen to what God has said so that you will live. Listen so that your children and your grandchildren will live. So that's the situation. And then we come to verse 4, which is probably uh, the most known verse in the Hebrew nation. Um, Commentaries say that as soon as a child learns to talk, the first thing they are taught is this verse, Deuteronomy 6.4, and then an adjacent verse, Deuteronomy 33.4. Those are the first two things a child is taught as soon as they are able to speak. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Now see, Moses understood what was going to happen. They had been in situations before. They remember Egypt, where Egypt had multiple gods. They had a god for the sun. They had a god for the crops. They had a god for the rain. They had a god for the river. They had a god for everything. Canaan was a different story. Canaan was a monotheistic society. They believed in one God. However, their God had all these little gods and goddesses that would help the God out. And Moses is saying, no, no, no. Hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is God alone. He is one God. This is not the same thing. When you get into Canaan, be careful not to assimilate your theology. It may look the same, but it's not. They may say they only have one God, but it's a false God. Their God could never deliver them out of Egypt. Their God could never redeem their lives. Their God could never promise them something and then fulfill it. Their God is futile. Their God is dead. Their God is not our God. Remember, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love God. And the the response for love is obedience. So we're to love God with our heart and with our soul and with our might or strength. The response to this love is obedience. Now, when we talk about heart and soul and strength, um, 
I got to admit, when I see heart, I think, oh, love God. Oh, that's the warmy, feely, touchy. Oh, I love, I love you, Emma. I love you, Jen. I love football. I... This is not what we're talking about when we talk about love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. This is a, I make a choice to obey. Love's response is always obedience. And we love God with our heart. Now, the heart isn't the... Happy Valentine's Day, I love you, kiss, kiss. No, the heart is your intellect, your will. It's like, well, you've probably said it before, I just knew in my heart that I was right. Now, you didn't really know in your emotions that you were right, you knew in your intellect, you knew in your mind, you knew in your heart that you were right. Love the Lord your God with all your intellect, your will, your intentions. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. Now, the soul is where we get to the emotions, the desires. The soul is that, those personal characteristics that make you unique and you unique and you unique. And God said we are to love him with our souls, with every emotion and desire that we have. Every characteristic that we display is to be an act of love to God. We're to love him with our heart. We're to love him with our soul. We're to love him with our strength. This word was awesome to learn about because I was thinking, love him with your strength, love him with what you do. That makes sense, right? Did anyone else ever think that? Love him with your heart, love him with your soul, love him with your strength or your might. It's really translated more like a love him with all your very muchness. And let me explain what I mean, because that sounds kind of weird. Every single time this word that's translated strength is used in the entire Bible, it's an adverb. It means exceedingly or sorely or greatly, as in I was exceed they were exceedingly joyful. How joyful were they? Exceedingly. They were sore afraid. How afraid were they? They were sore afraid. It shows degree. And yet, the only time in Scripture that we see it used this way, it's used as a noun. Which means, when you love Him with your heart, and you love Him with your soul, there is loving, and then there is loving him with all your very muchness. There is a sold-out, committed surrender that goes beyond just, I love God with my mind, I love him with my heart. I am completely in God. I am yours. It's you and me all the way. I love you with my strength, with my very muchness. And so we get to verses 6 through 9, and I'm just going to quickly go through some things. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're away, when you're on your journey, when you're lying down, when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands as a reminder and on your forehead and on your doorposts, and on your gates. This is 
I love this, and I love our Nazarene church affirms we are Christian, we are missional, we are holiness, because I can very easily draw connections between when I am writing things on my hands and on my forehead, it is personal. This is a personal holiness that I am praying that God brings to me. I want to remember Yahweh. I want to remember God and be holy and be holy His. We're also Christian. I want to be a Christian family. I want my family unit to be Christian. I want my church to be Christian. I want the church universal to be Christian. But we're also missional. I want the foreigner, the alien. I want the person who is visiting among us. I want the person that is not in the family. I want God's laws on the gate so that even they are seeing it. Even that is a missional act. They are hearing God's words even if they do not yet believe in him. So we write them on our hands and our foreheads and we put it on our doorposts and we put it at the gates so that everyone may know that our God alone is God. So here we have them at the Jordan River and it's almost as if Moses is saying, okay guys, it's been 40 years. You've been on life support. Let's just, let's call a spade a spade. You've depended on God for your food every morning. You've depended on God for your water. You've depended on God to protect you from the heat and the sun in the desert. You've depended on God to protect you at night from the coolness of the desert night. You've depended on God for direction. You have been completely dependent on God. And now you're getting ready to cross a river and you are getting ready to receive a promise that was made generations ago. Be careful where you were once completely dependent upon God, you're now going to live in cities that you didn't even build. You're going to live in houses that you didn't construct. You're going to reap the benefits of crops that you didn't even plant. Where you once depended on God for water, you're now going to be able to draw from a well that you didn't even dig. And if you're not careful you will forget your dependence upon God. You will forget your story. If you're not careful, you will be so focused on the gift that you will begin to forget about the giver. Be careful. Moses is pleading, be careful. Don't forget the giver after you get the gift. And isn't that human nature? I, I find myself frequently praying for something. God, if it's your will and I believe it is, would you do this for that? Would you, would you make me this way or that way? Or would you provide this or that? And then when God does provide, I'm embarrassed at how many times the blessing squeezes out the one who provided the blessing. And all of a sudden, I don't have as much time to read my Bible, God, because I'm doing this, which you gave me, so it must be okay. And we kind of tell ourselves these things, and yet we form this sort of amnesia. And the problem is, 
We all have memory. If we forget our story, we are very, very quick to pick up another. And Moses is saying, do not forget who you are. Do not forget the Lord your God. Do not forget the Lord is one. He is the only. Do not forget the laws and the commandments because they are your life. They are the only way to truly have relationship with God the Father. And if you forget it, all is lost. So serve Yahweh. He says, don't, don't serve the other gods. I love how he doesn't even, we could make a list and every list we make would always have one more th- God that we could put on there. And he, he's like, I'm not even going to justify naming the temptations that you're going to have over there. The only thing I need to name is God. God alone is our God. Serve him. Don't let anything distract you. So write them, bind them, fix them. I want you to be completely inundated with these laws, with, with serving and obeying and loving your God. It's, it's saturation education. I want it to be when you're walking around the house, you see it on your wrist. When you're leaving your door, you see it there. When you're walking down the street, you see it there. Or you see it on your neighbor's house because they've done it too. Or you, when you're walking up towards someone, you see it on their forehead. You are completely thinking about the laws of God and thinking about serving him and obeying him and loving him because you're completely saturated with it. It's all around you. Do not let the things of this world squeeze out the things that are truly important, the things that are eternal, the things that are of God. Keep them close to you. Protect them. Remember them. And one of the best ways we remember is by telling our story. We tell it so that we don't forget. We don't forget because we tell it. Side note, dinners have frustrated me this past week (laughs) because God's been working with me on this passage and I'm embarrassed at how often this has been at my table. I'm alarmed at how I have taken something that is so holy. When you shared a meal together, that was important. That meant something back in the day. That meant we're coming together. I want to connect with you. I want you to connect with me. We want to grow closer to God. And yet, how quickly am I randomly searching my emails, checking my text? And I fear if I'm not careful, I may forget just a little bit of my story because I'm missing out on such an important component, which is spending time with my colleagues, with my friends, with my family, in talking about the story. I think back when I was a kid, and I remember every night at dinner, we would talk, we would laugh, and my dad would share a scripture verse, and we would say it four, five, six times to where we could say it by heart by the time dinner was over. And it scares me to remember that because I see my dinner table as something so much different. Maybe you're there with me. I don't know. Guys, we can't, remember, we can't forget our story. 
we must remember our story. We must tell it to the next generation. Another example, and this is the one that really kills me. I've started to think back on all these times. Being a pastor is busy. People have needs, and they're not nine-to-five needs. There are times when the ministry is busy. I mean, am I, am I right? Can you, can you sympathize with that? Those of you that have been in ministry, it's a 24-7. Don't get me wrong. But yet there are plenty of times when I'm sitting at home with my family, and there's no church emergency happening. I'm just being lazy. And my wife will take the girls up, get them ready for bed. They'll read a story. They'll spend 15, 20 minutes snuggling, talking. And sometimes I'm there too. But more times than not, I find myself sitting on the couch, watching the football game, checking my email, doing something else that is more important. And then I go upstairs five minutes before it's bedtime, and I say a quick prayer with them, and I think, yay, I've done my fatherly deed. I've prayed with my children. And yet I wonder who had the holier moment. I want to pass on a legacy, and it doesn't do... I do not consider myself successful if I teach you something and I don't teach my girls. But it's not just me. We're here because I trust you to teach my girls too. I trust you to teach. I trust you to love. I trust you to guide. And every parent here does that too. We are called to help the next generation. This isn't a parent sermon. This is a everyone. We are all called to tell the story so that the next generation understands. The passage finishes up and, and, and it says, so what do we do when, when our children ask, you know, what are these laws? What are these commands? Um, the, the New Revised Standard Version says that they ask, what are these laws and commands that your God is telling you to do? Isn't that interesting? How if we're not careful, if we're not living a life in front of our children, if we're not living out God's word and breathing it in and out and teaching it to our children and teaching it to those around us and teaching it to the foreigner and teaching it to the family members, all of a sudden, the question comes up, so why should I follow your God's commands? God help us never to get to that place. But I love what Moses says. He says, you tell them, this is what you do. You tell them, we were once slaves in Egypt. But God brought us out. And God is bringing us to a land that he promised to give to us. This is not my faith. This is God calling 
everyone to share. This is our faith. This is our story. This is our journey. You are part of the covenant promise. I am part of the covenant promise. So the question is, what kind of intentionality are you focusing on today? Are you living your life in a way that others see God? Are you living out of obedience and love so that others are naturally drawn and they see, wow, that's an amazing story. I want to be part of that story. Tell me more about that story because I want it to be my story too. What kind of legacy are we leaving? Because this, this is our story. I love how uh, one of my favorite movies, the protagonist quotes this before going into battle. He says, what we do here today echoes in eternity. Friends, how we live our lives today indeed echoes in eternity, not only for ourselves and our souls, but for the next generation, for the next, for our children, for our grandchildren, for those that aren't our children. What we do today echoes in eternity. God, may we truly live a life of legacy. May we start today. We pray this all in your name. Amen. What about you? Unapologetically, the thing is, leaving a legacy starts by living a legacy. And it starts now. A million little choices. What do you choose to spend your life on and spend your moments on? I'm going to give you a chance to respond. Um, we have markers and pens, markers and, and paper. Maybe you just want to take a second and pray and say, God, what do I want my legacy to be? If I want it to be this, what do I need to do today? to make it happen. So here's what I want you to do. If there's something that God's telling you this is what your legacy should be, I want you to come down, write it. You don't need to put your name. Just write it and leave it here. And then I want you to go back and in your bulletin, I want you to take that first step. It's so easy for us to have a sermon and say, oh, that was really good. I should do that. And then the moment's gone. I want you to go back in your bulletin. And I, wanna, I want you to write what is my first step going to be? Maybe you're saying, I've been going here three years, haven't gotten involved in anything. So your response is, I'm going to call Pastor Matt this week and say, hey, I need to get involved. Or Pastor Garen. Or maybe you say, I go Sunday to Sunday. That's not good enough. I'm going to email Pastor Michelle this week and say, I need a life group. Because... Life is lived in community. We don't live in isolation. Whatever it is, I'll give you a minute to come and write down your legacy, what you want it to be, and then I want you to go back and write that in your bulletin, and then I want you to act on it. This week, 
Make it happen. A legacy starts now. We've already missed more moments. Just this morning. Don't miss any more. So Jamie's going to play. I invite you to come. I love that. Leaving a legacy. I don't know about you, but this is a great sermon and I needed to hear it. We have an opportunity to be... We have some great things coming up in the life of this church, and you have an opportunity to make those things a part of your legacy. On February 9th, we are having baptisms. So if you haven't been baptized yet, please consider doing that. It is a way to show what God has done in your life, what he's doing in your life. It's a way to show your uh, inward faith outside, outwards. And so we, we invite you to be a part of that. There's already several people signed up, and we're very excited about that. February 8th, we're going to have a father-daughter uh, night here at the church. It's going to be a uh, dress-up event, and it's going to be very special. There's some special things coming with that, so keep check on your worship folder. We're also going to have Start Here. We're starting it on February 2nd. Start Here is where you can come and learn more about what we believe um, and how to get involved. It starts February 2nd at 9 a.m. It goes for three weeks. And then on February 23rd, we're going to have a membership lunch. If you are not a member here, Please consider coming to that. It will just, um, we'll have lunch and we'll just fellowship and we'll tell you a little bit about what it means to be a member and about um, the, some of the things that we believe. And um, also, you know, about winter retreat. So there's some great things coming up and it's your chance um, to get involved. Stand with me. As we leave today, let me leave you with a benediction. And now, this week, may you sense the presence of our loving God who keeps his promises. May you feel the strength of this servant Christ who redeems you. And may you sense the Spirit's presence as he guides and directs you each day. Go in peace to begin your legacy.